You're listening to the Haney Company Financial Guy Show. No nonsense, just a crazy mix of life, business, the funny, and of course we're going to talk about your money. But just sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. What could go wrong? Welcome to another episode of the Haney Company Financial Guy Show. As we step into 2024, I am extremely excited for this episode because I have Jeff DeCanya. You and I have known each other in the ASAE space for a good while. Uh, I know you're more familiar with my father uh, as, a, as a fellow, um, but uh, I, I'm, I'm excited to have this at the uh, to mark what is going to be a pretty epic year this year. And so I, uh, I know this is a, a long time coming. So thank you for being on the show with me. Brian, thanks so much for uh, having me as a guest. It's a pleasure to, to join you and to have this conversation. I'm excited as well. I'm glad that we're finally getting a chance to do this. Well, I always tell uh, every guest, and I know you are, you were, you were not ill-prepared for this, that the first four questions are absolutely the hardest mentally. Uh, so, you know, um, we're just going to hit them heavy in that way. We'll, we can take a breather afterwards because it'll be much easier from there. So let's let's get out the gates with what food will you not eat under any circumstances? Um, sauerkraut, just not not my thing. I I eat my hot dogs plain. Okay, I like that. And and just for reference, uh, out of over fifty episodes, no one has ever said that. So good, we get another another one to add to the list. Glad to be um, unique. <laughs> always a good thing, right? Um, if you could be a superhero, what superpower would you have? Interesting. Um, when I was a kid, I really liked The Flash. I used to watch Justice League of America, the the less developed animated version when I was when I was younger. <laughs> and I always thought the flash, like you know, Superman and Batman and others, got more attention. I always liked The Flash. Now, Flash has gotten a lot more attention in recent years. But I always like the idea of being able to run as fast as possible, as far as possible. So yeah, I think probably that would be my that would be my thing, being more like the Flash. And, and I have actually, I think I've grown uh, in in my desire for that as well, uh, especially uh, you know as 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 an athlete and, and just thinking about it, just from very pragmatic sports things, it would be great to literally run circles around people on a on a on an athletic field on a cross field. So I, I love that. That's a good one. All right. If you could have dinner with a famous person, and this can be anybody alive or dead, who would you like to have a meal with? I think my choice here is probably a little bit less well known than some of the people that maybe other guests have shared. And it it flows from a quote that I use all the time in my work. And the quote is, for all of its uncertainty, we will not flee the future. And it's my favorite quote about related to the future. It's probably my favorite quote overall. And it comes from a speech uh, delivered in 1976. So it's now 48, be 48 years this summer, uh, delivered by uh, Barbara Jordan, who was a former member of the United States House of Representatives from Texas and a brilliant uh, woman. And um, yeah, so I would love to, if I could have dinner with her, uh, she has passed away. Um, but I would love to have, be able to have dinner with her to talk about that quote and the inspiration for those words. So yeah, that would probably be my choice. See, I love that because, you know, I mean, while all of these questions are fun and meaningful, they should be also thought provoking. And I, and I, I imagine now is that, is her speech something that someone could pull up on YouTube or something like that? Or I'm sure something like that is Googleable on some level. Uh, I believe there is a video of it. Um, it was from, uh, delivered at the 1976 Democratic National Convention. Uh, okay. I know there's text online, uh, and I'm pretty sure that there is video of it. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure we could uh, find that if you want to uh, post that in uh, online for for people. Yeah, that'd be great. I love it. Excellent. And and the last one, of course, the hardest besides this podcast, which is always everybody's number one. What other podcast or, or or show or something that you would want to recommend somebody consider engaging with? Well, I'm I'm going to uh, give the diplomatic response uh, and say that you know rather than choosing just one because I think there are a lot of great podcasts um, out there. I, I want to say how exciting it is that there are so many podcasts these days that are focusing um, or at least 
whether it's totally or partially on associations. And, and part of the reason why I'm excited about that is, as you know, part of what I'm trying to do this year is uh, talk about uh, the board's duty of foresight and the the 10-year milestone of the board's duty of foresight. So I'm working to uh, do 24 podcast interviews in 2024. And uh, there are a lot of podcasts in the association space, again, as I said, either partially or totally. And so I think that anyone who's interested in what's going on in associations can find a podcast that will cover something of interest to them um, and with different hosts and different sort of emphases. But uh, so, yeah, so I'm excited because a lot of the conversations I'll be having in the coming months and throughout this year will be focused on uh, these podcasts that are in the association space, uh, including including yours that uh, that I'm, I'm very pleased to be a part of uh, today. No, I love that. Um, and and, and I, I agree with you. It's uh, it's great to see this medium take off the way that it has. Uh, I think I, I, I tend to pay attention to a lot of the data sets and trends, and it was interesting. And I'm sure this number is probably dated at this point, but as of last year, there were over 680 new shows being launched every single day. Um, and so, uh, you know, while the there's there's one argument to say, oh, no, that's a that's that's an increasingly saturated place. <laughs> I think it just really means that we're getting more voices uh, and, and more stories uh, and, and just more opportunities for sharing uh, things that can be really important and meaningful. Um, and so uh, I, I, I'm with you. I, I love that answer. Uh, and and yeah, I mean, uh, I also will look forward to not just certainly this episode together, but the ones that you're going to be uh, subsequently guesting on as well, because it's it's going to be such a, a fun journey that I know you're going to be taking. And and yeah, what a, what a great time to be talking about this topic. So let's let's just dive and in. Just one other thing I want to say just before we get into yeah. the, the questions, uh, just kind of connecting with what you just said the, uh, and, and what you said. I, I'm I'm actually surprised to to know the number of shows that are launching on a daily basis. And uh, as someone who was involved in the first iteration of podcasting back in the early 2000s or sort of mid 2000s, podcasting kind of initially emerged in 2004. And, and by 2005, um, I, was, um, I was doing a podcast as well in the, that first iteration, which of course was very different. It was not there was no podcast app and, you know, there were none of the analytics, none of the things that go into podcasting. Uh, even the technology wasn't quite as good as we have today. And um, so it was basically me talking into a microphone and posting it online. I did have a professional intro, professional outro that I worked with a voiceover artist to create with music and everything like that, just to kind of give it a feel. Um, but basically in between those two things, it was me talking about association related stuff and then putting it up online on the blog that I had at the time. So things have come a long way in these last almost 20 years, um, in terms of where we are with uh, podcasts, we had a sort of a lull of podcasting for a while, then a Renaissance. And, um, and now we're seeing a lot more, uh, effort going into that. So that that's part of where the excitement comes from is seeing this really reemerge. Um, after we had the first uh, sort of experience with podcasting to have it come back again and to have it become something far more significant uh, today. No, and, and I, I know uh, even prior to us having the show, we were talking about this. And I think it's, yeah, it, it, it's it's interesting and, and it's really exciting. It's really exciting to be able to see all of the, uh, you know, the technology involved that makes something uh, much, much, much easier now. You know, uh, if you're if you're interested in in doing something like this uh, in your either personal or professional domain, uh, you know, it's 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 a lot more readily accessible and available. And so, uh, yeah, it's 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 an exciting time. And and this is certainly an exciting place to be, uh, you know, providing value and communicating effectively. And I want to so I want to give you the chance to let the audience know about the work that you do. so go ahead and uh, let's get let's hear hear the story about all of that. Sure. 
Uh, so I'm, uh, my company is Foresight First LLC. I'm executive advisor. It's a one person company. And I, I, my focus is on uh, association boards and helping them, challenging them to set a higher standard of stewardship, governing, and foresight. Uh, and as I mentioned, the big focus for me in 2024 is on the 10-year milestone uh, of the board's duty of foresight, which is something that I first wrote about uh, in Associations Now, ASA's magazine in 2014. And over the course of the last 10 years, it has become the, the central kind of organizing premise for what I do uh, with association boards and helping them think differently about their role and their contributions um, to their associations and and beyond. So it's it's um, it's been a really interesting ten year period. Uh, it's the it's a subset of a uh, now almost twenty two year uh, career as an association consultant and a thirty two year career in the association community overall. So so yeah, it it continues, but. That's really where I'm focusing my energy and attention in uh, in the work that I do uh, on behalf of the association. And it's, I mean, so important and so critical. And and I and I, I'm glad we're doing this now, especially to have the you know the personal connection as as someone who sits on one of those boards for uh, an association. I've been long time involved with, uh, and and to to see no one understand that relevance uh, and why it is so critical, but also how it can be so challenging and, and frankly, detrimental when that's not something that uh, is, you know, a driving force and or factor influencing how boards look at, you know, operating a a successful, effective and impactful association. Uh, Certainly, hopefully, uh, something all boards, I'm sure, are trying to accomplish on some level. Um, So, you know, what because of this, what excites you the most about the work that you get to do? Well, I think it's it's two things. I mean, when you look at the uh, the span of time that I've been advising boards those twenty two years, um, I think I, I've been very fortunate to work with a lot of different organizations, many different organizations in different industries and professions from funeral directors to home furnishings to landscape architects to lawyers and doctors and you know a wide range of of different uh, fields that I've had the chance. So I've learned so much uh, ab- across different industries and professions over the course of these 22 years. So that's that's been very exciting and it continues to be exciting every time I take on a new client and get to learn about a new field. Um, that's fun. The other thing, especially with the work that I, I do and really concentrate on with regard to the future, uh, but really every aspect of the work that I do as, as an educator and as an intentional learner, you know, every day I wake up and have to do something for some organization or in some aspect of my work where I get to say, I don't know. Like I actually look forward. Many people don't like to say, I don't know, because it, it can be a little bit scary. And I get that. Because of the work that I do, I get I feel excited to wake up every day and say, "Oh, I don't know. Let me let me investigate that. Let me explore that." So I'm learning something every day in the work that I do out of necessity and asking questions and pursuing discovery in my work, and and that's very exciting. As someone who likes to help others learn, uh, I'm learning every day, and and I I think that that's a tremendous benefit um, of what I do is to have that have that opportunity. So I'm very feel very fortunate. And I think that's, you know, those are the things that excite me. What, I, what I've learned from the various organizations that I've worked with and, and even in before I became a consultant. And then the fact that I'm, I'm doing some new inquiry and new discovery every day in whatever it is I do. Uh, and I think that's, that's a great deal of fun and something that I feel uh, very privileged to be able to, to say. And I, and I love that. As, uh, that's certainly a passion that I know I share as well, uh, uh, as also evidenced by the number of, of fun letters after my name, but just continual learning that there is no ceiling, you know, to, to learning. You can just keep going. It's a, it's a constant upward spiral of betterment. And, uh, and yeah, I, I, I understand completely how that can be uh, very exciting. And, you know, there was a word that stuck out to me uh, that maybe I kind of want to talk to you about a little bit. And it's that concept of, of kind of being a futurist. Um, I know certainly in the financial field, 
You know, a lot of times if I'm at professional conferences, everybody loves to hear a good, you know, economist or, you know, somebody that's kind of peering forward and going to give you their prognostications and, uh, you know, what's going to happen in the marketplace and all that kind of stuff. But but I think in, in perhaps a more general sense, as it relates to foresight associations and boards, futuristic or futurist thinking is something that is is challenging to kind of grasp. So how, you know, how would you kind of set up a framework for a board today to really get them engaged with this type of thinking um, that probably goes beyond sometimes a lot of the traditional, you know, we got to make sure we look at the financials and, you know, things that don't always necessarily kind of get you to peer forward through the looking glass enough. So I, you know, I think one thing I will say is like I totally understand your your question. The thing I would say is I I don't actually don't think of myself as a futurist, um, and 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 the reason why I say that is because even though I have credentials and understand futures methodology and that sort of thing, I know a lot of futurists, and I know the kind of education that they undertake to operate as a futurist. And I also know the work that they do, uh, which is very much uh, apt in the description that you're talking about uh, that you that you provided. But the thing I would say is, I, I think actually the, the second part of your question is 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 much closer to what I actually do. So as a as a foresight practitioner, which is how I think of myself, it's really about helping others uh, use foresight approaches, foresight practices, uh, so that they can become, in the case of boards, better decision makers. So. That's one of the things that often comes up in my work with with boards is I will say to them, look, I'm not trying to turn you into futurists. We can rely <laughs> upon the work of futurists to assist us. What I'm trying to help you do is become better decision makers by helping you orient your thinking and decision making toward the future. And I think that's why I think the duty of foresight is so important, right? The, you know, the duty of foresight, which, as I mentioned earlier, is something that I, I first wrote about 10 years ago, and it has mostly remained stable in terms of what its intention is with regard to learning. But uh, in 2022, you know, following everything that happened with the, um, you know, sort of looking at what happened in the first two years, uh, first really two and a half years of this decade with the pandemic and all the consequences that the pandemic unleashed upon us, I realized that I needed to look at, at the way I was thinking about the duty of foresight through a different lens. And so I released in September of 2022, what I refer to as the next definition of the board's duty of foresight, right? So let's define the, the terms just a little bit. Foresight, as I define it as um, uh, the intentional, uh, the process of intentional learning with the future. And um, so that's, you know, that's the work, that's sort of the nature of what foresight is. The duty of foresight at the beginning was always about uh, a shared commitment that boards would make to learn as much as possible with the future. In 2022, when I released the next definition, I wanted it to read more and feel more like the definitions that I might give for the duties of care, loyalty, and obedience that boards are mandated to follow. So the next definition of the board's duty of foresight focuses uh, the way it reads is it requires association boards to stand up for their successors' futures through intentional learning, short-term sacrifice, and long-term action. And I think that if you take the pieces, you know, sort of break apart the pieces of that definition, you can see, you know, how that fits with with what you're asking. Like if you're going to be on a board that what you want to be doing is thinking about, okay, what is it we need to learn to be an effective board? Um, what is it we don't know? And especially not just the areas where we recognize we don't know, but how do we get at the things that we don't know that we don't know, which is increasingly where we have to go? How do we explore new territory that is completely unfamiliar to us? And so that's where intentional learning becomes important. How do we make decisions about where we'll make sacrifice, whether that's financial sacrifice or or other kinds of sacrifice that'll benefit our successors, those who will follow us? And, and how do we always consistently maintain a long-term orientation in our decision-making? And so I think that when a board chooses the duty of foresight and makes it central to its work, they will become better decision-makers. They will fulfill their responsibilities, not only to the association today, but to those who will follow them, and particularly those that they will never know personally. Uh, that's what I mean when I 
really mean when I talk about successors. It's the people, not just the people who come in the next few years who will join the board or join the association over the next few years, but those who will become part of the association in 10 or 20 years uh, time who will never be known personally to those who are serving today. So I think that's, you know, that's the starting point is building that emotional uh, and cognitive connection to the importance of this work through the duty of foresight, and then building a consistent practice of foresight that involves any number of contributors from across the association. It's it's very inclusive, right? It's intended to be very open and inclusive to get a lot of different points of view into the conversation about what the future could look like. And then the board uses that information, that learning to make the best possible decision in the current time horizon to guide the organization toward the future. So um, it's it's actually a great opportunity for boards to imagine making a real impact that is not just a short-term impact, but uh, an impact that will last for years and decades. Well, I really appreciate how you broke that down, but but emphasized you know the word that uh, I probably the rapper I would I would put on that is kind of legacy. It's a legacy mindset that is is the way that I receive what you were sharing, and and, and you know recognizing that yes, we have some things that we have to do that are right in our our purview today. But that the impact and the ramifications thereof of us doing it right, wrong, or, or at least having a mindset that suggests that we need to do it well, not just for the here and now, but you know, for those that we may never need know and uh, we'll never see the the outcome or the benefit. Um, I, I think that that's certainly uh, not just uh, important, um, but extremely vital. I think in a time where we're seeing just a lot of things shaking and change and and not that that's not how things have happened in the past but uh i think it it, it seems and maybe on some level feels like uh there's just been a lot more uh acceleration and changes that that i think industries and certainly the association community have had to try to wrestle with and so can we talk a little bit about some of the components of this process that you mentioned uh, and maybe start with the first part that um, might seem obvious, but if someone were to to just hear what you shared and say, you know what, I'm on a board or I'm a part of an association and I don't necessarily know that they have a process that looks like what you just described, how would you help an organization kind of get started embracing this uh, concept and, and then creating a framework to develop a process? So yeah, what, one thing I would just say before uh, before I answer that is I you know the way that I like to talk about it with boards is I I will you know give them the question which is in no way rhetorical which which has become the preoccupying question in my professional life which is what will our successors say about us and mm-hmm. and the reason why I like to frame it that way is that it's a little different from the legacy conversation that you were talking about before because oftentimes I I totally understand the direction you're going in. Oftentimes the issue that I have with the legacy conversation is that we when if if we talk about what do we want our legacy to be, it it will often sound like a uh, a hero story, you know, mm-hmm. a hero narrative yeah. in which we feature as the hero. And 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 while I get the the um, psychological benefit of that, the question what will our successors say about us is a harder question because we don't actually get to tell them what they will say about us, right? Instead, we it's not about our words, it's about our actions. What actions will we take today, starting today, to create, to shape a better future, to stand up for their futures, right? The people that we will never know personally and um, help them have as much opportunity to be successful as we would have expected from those who preceded us decades, you know, years and decades earlier. So, so it challenges us to make it about our decision making rather than just our our the way we describe ourselves. In terms of what we would do, I think you know, the I think one of the biggest surprises that most people have when they're starting out on a foresight process, at least with me, is we don't just dive into what are all the uh, possibilities around things. I think that's more 
um, you know, visioning around things, which ha- may have a place. But I think that's one of the big confusions people have is that foresight is not the same thing as visioning because visioning tends to focus a lot. Okay, what are all the extraordinary possibilities we might imagine? I prefer to start with a harder conversation, which is what are our orthodox beliefs? Um, and orthodox beliefs are the deep-seated assumptions that we make about how the world works. And in a world that is increasingly nonlinear, increasingly incomprehensible, increasingly um, turbulent, um, so many of the orthodox beliefs that we've held for years and decades about how our organizations work, how our world works, whatever worlds we're talking about, the world of the association, the world of the profession or industry, the world writ large. Um, so many of the assumptions we've made are now under extreme stress and are demonstrating that they maybe were never true, even though we believe them. They're maybe not true today. They're not helpful to us to continue to hold on to them. And any meaningful exploration of what our future could look like, in my view, needs to begin with an exploration of what are the beliefs that are holding us back. And that's what orthodox beliefs are, right? The belief in associations, for example, that all relationships uh, come down to membership, right? That, um, you know, that boards um, have to function in certain ways and compose themselves in certain ways uh, and other kinds of assumptions that that we make, some of which are industry or profession specific, some of which are, um, you know, specific to the the nature of what that organization has been historically. So the starting point for any meaningful exploration of where we could go really needs to start with kind of where we've been and what baggage, if you will, that we've picked up along the way. Or another way of thinking about it is that in order for us to better hear the signals of the future that is emerging, that is really all around us, we've got to be able to turn down the noise of the past. And that's really what our orthodox beliefs are, is that noise of the past that prevents us from engaging in the kind of learning, the intentional learning that we need to do to better understand where our futures are going and what they could become and what we need to do to guide them toward the pathways that we would like to be on and away from the pathways that would be more detrimental. So I think that's the starting point for these conversations. As I said at the beginning, this is the hardest conversation to have because it's hard to, sometimes people grapple with what orthodoxy is. They will grapple with um, what it means to them because we we identify, we develop our personal and collective identities around our belief systems, right? So when they're being challenged, especially by someone coming in from the outside, and when we're challenging them ourselves, um, it can be difficult. But I, I promise you that once people start doing it, uh, for many people, it's a relief because it gives voice to things that they've been feeling for a very long time. It gives a safe space to have a difficult conversation. And it opens us up now to be able to do more learning so that our possibilities for what our futures could be are greater. And I've heard that said to me over and over again by directors and officers and CEOs who will say, you know, the orthodoxy conversation is really hard and we continue to struggle with it. But by having it, we are opening ourselves up to a richer set of possibilities and new learning um, that would not have been would not have been available if we had simply been stuck in our orthodoxy. So that's the starting point, I think, for for this kind of conversation before you can move more deeply into some other areas. You know, and I really, I really appreciate that uh, on on so many levels. I think of you know, I, I receive it personally in terms of a practice that I have for self development, reflection, and improvement in my own life and all of the domains that are really important to me. Um, and, and has seen how a process of expanding that and doing something that I like to say is, you know, seeking the discomfort and leaning into the discomfort, because again, in, in terms of growth, expansion, and just having a, uh, you know, a framework to be able to continue to show up as my best self, this is a necessary part of that, uh, you know, uh, but, but yeah, doing it in a, in a professional domain as a board uh, finds itself in, and also on all the levels uh, with with what you were sharing is important, but yeah, yeah, you're right. It, it, it's I'm sure the hardest or one of the hardest kind of places and conversations to have and start. And but yet once once it's had and and people are on at least on board with with the benefit of identifying where we are and 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 you know what what is holding us back 
Um, what are some of maybe the things when you get to that place that then either become the obstacles you're now trying to tackle or the path that you're trying to chart that is harder to define? And 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 maybe that's not even the duality that everybody faces, but it seems like a lot of times when when boards can get to a certain place where they're, you know, now they're going to be engaged in something that's going to be forward thinking, strategic or, or planning related. Um, they are trying to go down, a you know, one of a couple avenues. So what is what is that kind of I don't necessarily call it a next step, but what does it look like to to move beyond, uh, you know, the, the from belief to now the next phase? I think one of the things that's most challenging for boards when it comes to the orthodoxy conversation and what happens afterwards. Most, as you well know, Brian, most association boards are um, populated with people who I would describe in the largest sense as operators, right? They come in from an industry, they come in from a profession, they're doing a job on a daily basis. And so their task at their workplace is to get something done, right? Whatever form that takes, whether it's an attorney trying to work with a client or or a doctor working with a patient or someone in the retail sector selling something or whatever, right? So boards are populated with operators. The orthodoxy conversation can be a challenge for association boards because there's not necessarily anything that they will immediately do about those orthodoxies. What So what I always say to boards about it is, look, you're not responsible for, or it's not your fault, let me put it that way. It's not your fault that these orthodoxies exist. And because they existed in all likelihood before you got here, right? They probably existed for decades before you arrived. Um, certainly, you know, years in some cases. And even if you've repeated them, I'm still not going to blame you because, you know, this has been built up over a period of time. But you are responsible for figuring out what to do about them. Now that you know they exist, you've got to take some kind of action. Now, on some of them, the actions are not clear, right? That's what I was getting at a moment ago. There's not a clear way. And and your job, by the way, as a director or officer, is not to tell people, hey, you know, you're wrong about this orthodoxy. Like that's not, people don't want to be told that. Instead, you want to appreciate the fact that someone has shared this information and how do we begin to help them maybe develop a different perspective, right? It's not about telling them they're wrong. And it's also not about directors and officers saying, well, I don't agree with this. It doesn't really matter whether you agree or disagree. Someone has told you that this belief exists within the organization. So now we've got to figure out what to do. Part of the way that you address that, part of the way that the board addresses that, working with their staff partners, working with other contributors inside the organization, working with contributors outside the organization. The nice thing about the work of Foresight is that it doesn't necessarily require you to adopt certain boundaries. You can bring in a lot of voices, as I was mentioning earlier on in our conversation. Um you know, is to say, okay, what what do we want the future to look like? What are plausible futures for our organization? What do we want it to look like? What could it look like? How do we build scenarios around what those futures could be? How do we have conversations about those scenarios? And then where do the orthodoxies of today, the current orthodox beliefs, fit into that and, and maybe exist or operate, function as kind of limiting beliefs that will prevent us from getting to those Uh, getting to those futures or actually could accelerate our decline into a future that we don't want, right? That's part of the way that you begin to address these orthodox beliefs. You can address some of them through messaging. You can address some of them through programmatic activity. You can address some of them through, you know, how you educate, you know, people. Uh, There's a variety of, of, of approaches that you could take to try to address them directly. But I think in a foresight context, the way that we would want to try to address them is to say, what is it we're trying to create in terms of a 36-month, 48-month, 60-month, 72-month future for the association? And how do we, by designing that, by developing our approach to that, we will um, begin to defeat the orthodox beliefs. The other point that I would make here is that the conversation around orthodoxy isn't just about the specific orthodox beliefs that come up in discussion, you know, that a board will identify. And part of what I do with them is to try to visualize those orthodox beliefs for them in a, in a orthodoxy map. It's not about the, even just about the specific orthodoxies that they identify and, and visualize. It's about developing the habit of mind 
to think and act beyond orthodoxy at all times, right? So as they're having conversations about any issue, any decision that they're making, whether it's a short-term decision or a long-term decision, that they be aware of the fact that orthodoxy exists in the organization, in their decision-making process, uh, in their conversation. And let's make sure we're, we're staying aware of that existence and that we are confronting it before we allow it to slide by as we make a decision. like Once you uncover the existence of orthodoxy, you can't ignore its existence after that. So that's another step in the process is that you know part of it is confronting and then defeating the orthodoxies that are most detrimental. Part of it is conceiving of what the future could look like through scenario development, through you know, ongoing discussion around that through decision-making. And part of it is developing the habit of mind to say that we're not going to allow orthodoxy to prevent us from realizing the futures that we're trying to um, we're trying to achieve, and that is so important for boards because boards have agency; they have the ability to make choices and to act upon them. But I think that many boards have surrendered their agency to orthodox beliefs, and by defeating the orthodoxy and maintaining this ability to think and act beyond orthodoxy, developing that habit of mind they can in fact reclaim their agency to take actions that will be beneficial to their organizations, beneficial to their stakeholders, beneficial to their successors. So there's a lot that goes into it and boards need, um, what they can do is develop a more nuanced uh, approach to addressing these issues by building the habits of mind that go into this and also developing next what I call next practices to try to help them stay clear of the orthodoxy and uh, build the kind of futures that they're that they're looking for, because really this is about what boards do with the assistance of a lot of contributors. But ultimately, boards are the ones who are responsible. They're the ones who have the authority to act, and they are the ones who have the greatest opportunity to take action um, with staff partners and with committees and task forces and individual contributors and a wide variety of people can be involved. But ultimately, we need our boards to operate in this way because they're the ones who sit at the confluence of responsibility, authority, and opportunity to do this work and to take this kind of action. So those are some of the things that I try to help boards think about and to act upon uh, in the work that I do with them. I love it. You know, I think it was Stephen Covey that says sometimes how you see the problem is the problem and developing a a framework for you know, recognizing that and and making that a part of the process, I think is so crucial. And, you know, um, I mean, again, I just keep thinking of all of the experiences that I, that I have and, and how I see this also how we work with so many of our association clients and, and just trying to be a partner to them to provide our uh, element to their decision-making that is necessary, whether it's risk mitigation or financial or other things um, what do you think, and, and this is, it's probably hard to to distill down some of the, the major issues that I think we're facing, but, um, you know, if you had to, to pick a one, two or three issues, if, if we, if we, you know, put the word in air quotes that are, that are the most uh, significant for boards and association leaders in general to be wrestling with right now. What are some of those things, especially in this kind of climate and environment of technology change? Uh, I mean, there's so many things we could put on a list of the things that are kind of external and sometimes internal forces impacting us. But what are some of the things that maybe come up the most frequently at this point? Yeah, so I think any any board that um, you know is is interested in building a consistent practice of foresight, um, you know, and and, and obviously. Part of that, as we talked about, is around the orthodoxy. And then the another aspect of this is really having that constant intentional learning in the the, the five areas that we tend to focus on in foresight, um, social, technological, economic, environmental, and political for- factors and forces. The acronym is STEEP, S-T. And to look at those steep factors and forces and to recognize that they are going to be a part of everything that goes on in our organizations, that social factors influence associations, given the nature of what associations are. Um, They are very much a part of the fabric of society. So social factors are going to be a part of it. Technology is clearly an issue. I'll come back to that. Economic factors, uh, environmental factors, and 
uh, broader political factors. I think specifically, you know, right now, more and more, it's going to be about, you know, what are the dilemmas that boards are going to have to confront because they will not be easily resolved. One of the biggest areas of dilemma right now is around technology. On the one hand, recognizing that associations like every organization uh, in 2024 need to use technology um, in order to create value for stakeholders, in order to uh, capture value into their business models. Um, And certainly I've been a proponent for a long time that associations should capitalize on technologies um, to benefit themselves, stakeholders, uh, and successors as much as possible. But there's a dilemma in 2024, which is that we have technologies, particularly notably artificial intelligence um, technologies, machine learning and, and AI, that we know are creating real harm for real people. Um, it's happening today. And that's not uh, hypothetical. It's not uh, speculative. It's happening today. And so at the same time that we're talking about how to capitalize on some of these technologies, we also have to know that they are creating harm and we have a responsibility to not contribute to that harm, to not make it worse, to prevent it as much as we can, and to use those technologies for good, right? So so that's a dilemma that every board's going to have to grapple with. I think there's a growing need for boards to grapple with the climate dilemmas, right? That there are things that associations do uh, that they need to do to deliver, once again, to deliver value that also have a negative impact on climate, that, um, you know, our use of technology feeds into that as well, and uh, that our technologies are also contributing to the climate issues. Um, and part of the reason why I feel like these conversations need to be better developed and and more more of a focus for association boards is because boards and other sectors are already having these conversations, right? These are issues of material risk for their businesses. Um, And so they are having to have those conversations. Public company boards, which are more highly regulated than um, association boards, must have these conversations. Um, And I think, generally speaking, no matter where you come down on on any of these issues, substantively, um, there are risk factors that they create for our organizations that must be considered. And, And that's what boards are there to do. Boards are there um, on some level to anticipate and to recognize and to mitigate risks to the organization. And I think we we have to be able to, you know, that's another aspect of the duty of foresight that part of standing up for successors futures, as I was saying earlier, isn't just about figuring out how to mitigate risks in the short term, but also how to mitigate long-term risks for successors, how to de-risk the future, you know, how to use current resources to make different decisions that would maybe put more risk on the association today, but will have the effect of making things less risky for those who will follow in the next 10 or 20 years, uh, because you can do it more easily today than you could if you wait. Like I think one of the things that associations learned the hard way during the pandemic was that the cost of deferring decisions made everything more expensive, literally, when you had no choice but to have to move quickly, as so many associations had to do during the pandemic. So many associations had to quickly turn in-person meetings into virtual events in order to not lose them entirely. And because they had not necessarily been investing in those capabilities on an ongoing basis, it becomes a whole lot more expensive when you are one of a hundred or five hundred or a thousand organizations all trying to do the same thing in very tight windows, right? I refer to this sometimes as governing debt, right? Like you're we're piling up the debt by failing to make our decisions early. And so we make it more, make it harder for us to get out from underneath that debt. That's mostly metaphorical, but in this case, what I'm talking about is actually financial, right? It's actually more expensive to try to mitigate risk later than it is to mitigate it sooner. And so the duty of foresight and all the foresight work that we talked about earlier, including the issues around orthodoxy related to risk itself, are all central to how boards have to think about this. So whether it's technology, whether it's um, environmental factors, whether it's um, you know the ongoing concerns of our um, you know our national politics and the extremism uh, that we see present, 
um, in in the um, you know not just in the U.S. but around the world, the rise of authoritarian you know governments. These are all concerns that I think association boards are going to have to talk about more fully and more openly and more deeply uh, because they are part. You know, our organizations are part of this. We have roles to play as 21st century societal institutions um, that can, uh, I think, help solve, contribute to solving some of these issues, contribute to improving where we go in the rest of this decade and into the 2030s and beyond. Um, so you know, I think the the role of boards is changing. The role of association boards is changing. And the nature of their responsibilities is growing, as is the case for boards and other sectors as well. I don't think that can be avoided, nor should it be avoided. I think that's what we need from our boards uh, as we look toward the rest of this year, and particularly as we approach the midway point of this decade, which we will in less than a year. We will be in the second half of this decade come January 1, 2025. So we're counting down to that inexorably, and we need to better prepare ourselves for what comes next as we move into the second half of this decade, which I think is more acceleration of this disruption, more intensity, more turbulence, uh, looking toward the 2030s. You know, one with with that last comment, as we look forward, um, one, I guess, if I were to pull it together, theme theme that I think has come up uh, certainly uh, in in the industry that I that I work in, but that I've seen across a lot of other industries in the association space is is kind of the the relevance conversation where uh, an association representing an industry faces the plausible reality that the nature of things have changed so much that maybe their place and space in what they're representing, who they're representing, and how they're represented has materially changed. And that's a hard, um, certainly, realization to come to. But then, uh, you know, the decision-making cards that get dealt to you in terms of well, how do we how do we become the association of tomorrow when today we may not be that anymore? Um, so I don't know if I did a good job of quantifying that as a theme, but I think it's just you know very much a recognition of of your your race to relevance and continued relevance as well as I think leadership. Um, is that something that I'm sure you're seeing happen in, in in certain domains and spaces? And if so, you know how can we use that as as something to talk about what what boards and associations need to be looking at for the second half of this decade moving forward, especially if they find themselves in that place. Um, so, yeah, it's so interesting because, um, you know, I'm, if you go to my LinkedIn profile, you'll see at the top there that um, I describe myself in part as an association contrarian. And and that's my, you know, sort of the reputation that I developed over a period of time that I initially um was a little uncomfortable with, but then I've leaned into over the years. And part of my contrarian view, uh, which I've been writing about and talking about for a long time, is that associations are playing a losing game by thinking about and talking about relevance. That I think part of the part of the problem is that we've invested ourselves in trying to run a race that can never be won because it's not the right race. And um, and setting aside just my personal view that announcing yourself as not relevant is not a great communication strategy. And so 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 there's that. But I think that what what I'm talking about, what I think is important about the duty of foresight and everything that goes into that, the duty of foresight, the work of foresight, which is that building of scenarios and trying to understand what the futures could be, the consistent practice of foresight, is really saying, you know what, we are an important contributor in our industry or profession, right? We have a voice, we have agency, right? When boards think of themselves as stewards, right? As a stewardship group, like the duty of foresight is central to what I do with boards around what I call stewardship, governing and foresight. That's my approach uh, to their work, right? So it starts with a grounding in the importance of stewardship uh, as an alternative to leadership. Like you are a steward of this entity. You're a temporary occupant of your position. Your responsibility is to leave it better than how you found it, right? Part of that is saying, okay, what is it we're going to do to leave it better than how we found it? How do we govern in a way consistent with that belief system? How do we integrate foresight into that work so that we can govern and steward in the way that we need to? And at the core of that, at the confluence, 
the overlapping circles of stewardship, governing, and foresight sits the duty of foresight. So the duty of foresight is at the core of the idea of how they will how they will function together as a board in a collective sense. And I think that when they adopt that mindset and all the mindsets, and there's there's a lot more to it than we can go into today, you know, but there are core convictions that boards need to bring to the table. There are habits of mind that I referred to earlier that they need to develop. What those core convictions and habits of mind are all about is saying we matter as a board. We are important what we do. We are important as an association. We contribute to our profession or industry. So in some ways, it's the antithesis of announcing that one isn't relevant, whether directly or indirectly, right? It's an acknowledgement, an acceptance of responsibility because you are important. And because you're important, you have something contrib- to, to contribute here that uh, you know everyone needs from you, right? And, um, and so I, I think that, that you know, I, I take the overall point that organizations need to figure out kind of where they are on, along this pathway as we move toward the second half of this decade, the 2030s and, and beyond that. For me, what I very much hope and what I try to help them do is recognize that they do have their own agency to make things be different, um, that they can, they may not be able to do it on, on their own, right? They may need to work with others. Um, they may need to adapt. And certainly a lot of this is about adaptation. Directors and officers, staff, everyone will need to adapt themselves to the realities rather than expecting the realities to adapt to them. That's just not going to happen, right? The future doesn't negotiate. The future doesn't cooperate, right? It's going to be what it is. And and we can influence it and shape it, but we're ultimately not going to um, uh, you know, prevent all the things that we would like to prevent. We're not going to be able to create all the things we'd like to be able to create. We can do as much as we can, but we can bring a lot more um, endeavor to it if we are working together collaboratively and cooperating with one another rather than functioning in more of a competitive you know, mindset, which unfortunately is afflicts so many of our, our organizations. So I, I would like to see us shift our, our mindsets quite significantly in order to be able to function in this environment, uh, which is increasingly um, unforgiving and you know, in many ways hostile to things that we care about in our in our organizations. And we don't want to we don't want to make it worse, right? We want to try to make it better as best we can. And I think that is possible, but it requires a fundamental shift toward where we're going, right? A future orientation, a long-term orientation versus a versus a, a past and short-term orientation, which is a fundamental problem not just in our organizations, but across our society. So I'd like for us to 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 think together differently about how we how we make that happen. I'm focusing a lot of my attention on the board aspect because I think that's where that's where a lot of the energy and ability to act exists. But I think we also have to look at this at a community level um, across the association world and say how can we work together to enable this more fully across the entire association. No, and, and I and I really appreciate that because you know I, I, the words that again come to mind for me. You know, is, is the brand. You know, everything has a brand, and 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 I think um, certainly that's a more familiar concept in the in the marketing, the business development, the for profit uh, arena than it may be in in a in a non profit association space. But I think it it kind of at least from where I sit. Uh, brings a lot of that together that you were just talking about in terms of, you know, the stewardship, the impact and the intentionality about, you know, what, what is, what is it that we need to do in the space that we operate in now to provide value, to point uh, those that are in our community towards greater and better uh, and more significant things um, and, and make that the defining you know, uh, quality of how we're going to go about operating uh, as a unit, as a board, uh, and, and as and as those that are stewarding the organization. And so I want to, because I know you and I could probably talk for the rest of the day, and, and, and we don't have, unfortunately, that margin of time, nor would I think the audience listen to a podcast that's seven hours long. What kind of advice would you want to share with association boards and association executives uh, that you really want them to be 
wrestling with or just, you know, any kind of final parting thoughts and advice that is going to be the most salient for us to be effective in 2024 and beyond. So I, w- I would come back to, you know, my, my question that I shared earlier about what will our successors say about us? And as I said, it's the preoccupying question of my professional life. I'm not expecting others to go there. Um, but every time I write something, every time I do an interview like this one, every time I uh, do a presentation for a client or in a public setting, I'm thinking about that question. What will our successors say about us? And I would say that every association, every association board, every CEO, uh, everyone in our community could be asking themselves that question about their own work, about their association, about the board they serve on or that they work with. What will our successors say about us? People will never know, right? People who will never know us and we'll never know them in 10 years' time, right? Maybe it's a little less, maybe it's a little more. And we'll never know what will they say about what we did in 2020 and what we didn't do in 2024. And the what we didn't do could be either good or bad, by the way. We could say, you know what, we're not going to do things in 2024 in an effort to make things easier for people in the future, right? So getting out of a pattern that I think exists in so many of our organizations, I was just looking at something in my email today before we uh, started our conversation that used the phrase that I see far too often. Uh, across so many different sectors, including the association sector, it included the phrase, leaders fail to make tough decisions, right? Or leaders delayed making decisions or something of that nature. And it speaks to the issues that I have with the whole leadership paradigm. It speaks to the issues that I have with, you know, boards deferring those choices, piling up governing and debt, governing debt, and then wondering why it's so difficult later, right? Leaving it to their successors to deal with issues that are too sticky. So I would start with what will our successors say about us? I would start with an with a an honest confrontation and reckoning with the orthodoxy of the organization. And and then I would say understand that the duty of foresight, unlike the duties of care, loyalty, and obedience, which are mandated on boards in case law, in statute, in regulation, they are required of our boards. Unlike them, the duty of foresight is a choice. I think it's an incredibly responsible choice. It is an ethical and moral choice. It is the right choice for our organizations to make in 2024, 10 years since I first wrote about it. It's time for us to recognize what's in front of us, what's happening all around us today. We sometimes think the future is off in the distance. It's not. It's here. It's now. It's happening. And the duty of foresight is our opportunity to really fundamentally change the way we think about what our boards can be, what they can become, how they can function in a way, uh, as I like to say, fit, a fit-for-purpose fashion in 2024 and beyond. There's a lot of opportunity here to create the kind of organizations and, by extension, the kind of future we would like to have. And I hope that all of the association directors and officers, CEOs, and other association decision makers and staff who are listening to this conversation will take that idea and reflect on it and think about it and examine their own uh, possibilities. So, you know, really have that conversation about what will our successors say about us, confront the orthodoxy, and then choose the duty of foresight to move our organizations into the future. Love that. What a, what a great place to wrap up. Um, how can our audience get a hold of you if they wanted to talk to you, engage? and get your help. What's the best way for somebody to find you? Uh, two best ways to find me, email jeff at foresightfirst.io, and it is .io. Uh, so jeff at foresightfirst.io. And then I'm also on LinkedIn, jeffonlinkedin.com. That's a branded URL that I um, use to make it easier because the you know LinkedIn URL is kind of long. Uh, so you can find me jeffonlinkedin.com. Outstanding. Well, again, Jeff, uh, it, it's been a thrilling conversation. I appreciate you joining me for this. I'm excited for uh, all of the other conversations I know you're going to be having in 2024. And so uh, please do be sure to make uh, me and and our team aware of them so we can also be referencing those uh, alongside this one. But thank you very much for joining me. Well, Brian, I really appreciate you uh, having me on the show and and thank you for being uh, one of the first 
uh, podcast that I'm doing in 2024, the 24 and 24, very cleverly named by me. And um, I, I'm I'm very pleased to have had this conversation with you. And I, I appreciate it. And I would love to come back in the future. I, I think it's uh, I, I think you will be on the shortlist for, for a, a repeat show. So thank you very much. Information provided in this podcast is not intended as specific tax or legal advice and may not be relied upon for purposes of avoiding any federal tax penalties. The Haney Company, its employees and representatives are not authorized to give tax or legal advice. Individuals are encouraged to seek advice from their own tax or legal counsel. Individuals involved in the estate planning process should work with an estate planning team, including their own personal legal or tax counsel. The information provided here does not constitute personal financial advice, but is meant as the conveyance of information for educational purposes only. All investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. Past performance is not indicatory of future returns. Guarantees are backed by the claims-paying ability of the insurer. Brian Heaney is a registered representative and an investment advisory representative of Dempsey Lord Smith, LLC. Dempsey Lord Smith, LLC is not affiliated with the Heaney Company. Securities offered through Dempsey Lord Smith, LLC, Membra, Finra, Sipic, Advisory services offered through Dempsey Lord Smith, LLC, a U.S. SEC registered investment advisor.